Hey guys, welcome back to Deep Dive for Life, the show where we take a deep dive into scripture each week. Last week, we started talking about prayer and everything that has to be involved with prayer and how we should pray and what kind of attitude we should take towards prayer. And so this week, we are looking at one of perhaps the biggest prayers in the Bible, which is the Lord's Prayer. And we kind of break it down to tell you what each line meant, what Jesus meant by what he said, and what we should be taking back from it. But before we dive in, I just wanted to reach out to you guys to ask for your questions. We would love to start answering some of the viewer questions on our episodes, and even in little special mailbag episodes when we have the time. But we just really want to start getting the audience involved and answering some of the questions that you guys want answered, and just so we can be giving you guys the content that you want to hear. So we have an email set up, which is deepdiveforlife at gmail.com. That is deepdive, the number four, life at gmail.com, where you can submit any type of user questions you have, whether it be about prayer or the Bible or Christian life or theology. We can't wait to hear from you guys. So without further ado, let's dive back into the Lord's Prayer based on Matthew 6. Lord's prayer is powerful. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it really it really hits all the major things we should be aligned with. And so I feel like there are a lot of people that think that that is the supreme prayer. Like that's that's kind of all you should be praying at the same time though because they feel like that's kind of the all-encompassing right uh prayer where i mean yeah we're praying for god's will to be done we're praying for our sins to be forgiven i mean it the list of things that you are praying for but it, it, it if we're talking about trying to form a relationship i mean i would feel really weird if rachel just kept saying the same thing to me all the time yes yes uh, for those of you who don't know rachel's my wife let me clarify that <laughs> um and so, like, if I came home and I always just got this, like, you think, like, an answering machine kind of effect where every time you go to talk to them, they just keep saying the same thing back to you all the time. Right. I could, it, it, it loses that personality. It loses. It the, does. And, and it loses meaning for the person who's saying those things, too. Mm. Um, so, um, our Father, which art in heaven, I mean, you're, you're, there's a personal relationship in Father, the our which art in heaven communicates the fact that God is different from we are. Uh, it's not an earthly father. It's a it's a father who created the heavens and the earth. Um, and and so, at the time, that was kind of revolutionary. To yes, think. to think of God as father, as a father. Yes, yeah. because I, he uses he uses the term Abba, which is the same yes. thing that Daddy. a child would say to a dad. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus was different in that regard and teaches us an intimacy. In prayer, that mm-hmm. that that you know, and I, I get um, uh, I don't know the right word. People will often say that all world religions teach the same thing. They're all about the fatherhood of God. They're all about the brotherhood of man. That kind of thing. Okay, but Christianity is unique <laughs> in its teaching about the fatherhood of God. Um, I mean, in Hinduism, God is impersonal. Um, Buddhism, there's probably not a God. In Islam, um, there are 99 names for God, but not one of them is Father. Um, 
and so Jesus teaching about Abba Father is is something that is um, incredibly powerful. That intimate relationship, and it also doesn't uh, it also doesn't reduce God's standing either, though. No, because you think of relationship. I mean, as far as relationship with a father, I mean, right. it should be someone who has authority over you, right? Not just you know you think uh, like some dads now just want to be best friends with their kids. It's like it's not that type of relationship. It's a one of authority and respect, right? And one um, upon whom you are relying, and mm. upon whom you are dependent on. Um, so yeah. Um, and, and we get into a little trouble there because not everybody has a good example in their earthly father. Yeah. And so sometimes um, that language puts people off instead of encouraging them. But there are other people who, particularly after they have become fathers, yeah. um, when they realize that God can be their father, mm-hmm. uh, that's incredibly meaningful mm-hmm. and powerful. So Jesus opens with with things that make us think about those things. And, and I, there's nothing wrong with, Praying our Father which art in heaven, but you're right that probably shouldn't be the way we begin every prayer. Yeah. Um, but the sentiment there of of the intimacy and expressing God's incredible power and authority and provision, you know, can be uh, regardless of what words we choose. Yeah. Uh, he goes on to say, "Hallowed be Thy name." And of course, Hallowed is not a, a word that we use in everyday conversation at this point. There are all lots of jokes about uh, children thinking that God's name is Howard. Uh, <laughs> Our Father which art in heaven, Howard be thy name. Mm-hmm. But to hallow something is to make it central. Um, so God's name should have the central place in our lives. God's name should have the central place in our world. God's name should have the central place in any plan, in any goal, in any thing that we are working on. Hallowed be thy name. Um, and so it's it's not just a request that God make his name hallowed. Um, it's a desire on our part that that God that God's name be at the center of everything that we do. Mm-hmm. It's a commitment uh, that we're making to, to allow God to be at the center. And and if you think about even the way a wheel works, you know, if it, a wheel can take a lot of bumps when that center is in the right, you know, yeah. place. Yeah. So from a structural standpoint, when God is at the center of our lives, that provides a sure, solid foundation for everything. So it doesn't have anything to do with Sleepy Hollow? I don't think so. (laughs) So then he mentions thy kingdom come. Yes. Now, I guess it depends on what camp you stand in. Some groups believe that the kingdom is now. Some groups believe that the kingdom is in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, some people think that the kingdom was in the past. <laughs> I don't yeah. know how that how that adds up. No, some no. people think it's in the past. Yeah, but he tells us that thy kingdom come. Mm-hmm. Future tense. Yeah, future future tense. Yeah. Well, I, I guess it kind of groups together with thy kingdom come and that will be done because yeah. I guess in a sense they're kind of the same thing. Because, I mean, his will is for the kingdom to come. So it's kind of the same. Uh, But why do you think he separates the two, though? Why do you think he would mention, like, that kingdom come, that will be done? 
other than it being uh, poetically nice to say, uh, why do you think he kind of split that up? Yeah, it does illustrate it. I mm. mean, it does help us to know what is intended with God's kingdom coming. Mm. When God king, when God's kingdom comes, His will will be done, um, and so it, it's part of that that hope, that dream, um, and it, in a sense, it is past, present, and future. Um, okay. And when Jesus begins preaching, He says, "The kingdom of God is at hand." Yeah. At another point, He says, "The kingdom of God is near." At another point, He says, "The kingdom of God is within you." Mm-hmm. Um, so the kingdom of God, it represents. The ultimate destiny, our ultimate destiny, where where one day uh, we'll have no need of a temple, no need of the sun. God will be with his people. Um, his kingdom has come. But in another sense, and in, in, in the Gospels, it's used as the kingdom of God breaks through the dominion of Satan. And when Jesus heals people, he is setting them free. He is taking them out of a kingdom of darkness and bringing them into the kingdom of light. Um, and so it's a present reality mm. as well as God's kingdom um, extends to our hearts as our hearts become part of his kingdom mm. and his will is done within us as well. So I'm going to ask this question. We pray that God's will will be done. Now, if we want God's will, if God's will is going to be done, mm. then what's the purpose in praying Again, we're aligning our hearts mm-hmm. with God's heart. Um, we're saying, God, I trust you. Um, I think I know what I want, but what I really want is what you want because you, what you want is going to be good and pleasing and perfect. I, I, I don't want what I want. I want what you want for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, your will be done, not mine, yeah. but your will be done. So it's an act of surrender. It's an act of, of, um, Commitment. Um, it's the realization that God is at work for our good. Um, it's an act of trust um, that, that God really is going to provide for us. Uh, today in the class that we teach for the high school, we were talking about differences in Christian denomination. Of course, we were talking about a ecclesiastical form of church government and a congregational form of church government. And I mentioned to them that the congregational form of church government is based on the idea that if every person in the congregation is earnestly seeking God's will, then when they vote on something, that should reflect the will of God mm-hmm. because you know, you've know you got 99% of the people who are in tune with God's will. Yeah. All right. The problem, of course, with that is that most of the time we are not seeking God's will. Mm-hmm. Most of the time we are selfishly wanting the carpet to be whatever color we want it to be instead yeah. of you know really seeking. Um, I probably shouldn't have picked on carpet, but. But, but whatever it is, we um, we have a tendency to want what we want when we want it how we want it, rather than trusting God for how He can use things that way. And so, so a congregational form of church government only works when people are really seeking God's will uh, and praying that prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, and not just praying it, but living it and meaning it. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think God really cares what color the carpet is? I don't, although <laughs> although you don't know how he's going to work and move. Huh. Um, I mean, God can use even the simplest of things to bring about his glory and honor. Because we see through some of Paul's letters where stuff is just stuff, like food is just food, carpet's just carpet. Yeah. And 
it's the emphasis that we place on it that yes. changes the changes the dynamic. So our prayer really should be, Lord, use this carpet. Mm. Use this carpet to reach people. Use this carpet carpet to bring comfort and assurance and to help people know the joy and hope and peace um, to, to place it in God's hands. That really yeah. should be our prayer. Yeah. So then he goes on to say, on earth as is in heaven. Yeah. Oh, wow. So first off, establishing that there is powers outside of what's on earth. Yes. Yes. And that, that's a very important point. Um, if you're looking at Eastern religion, um, Hinduism is a good example there. They believe that the physical world is an illusion. So sickness, suffering are all an illusion. Um, they believe that we're really all part of the impersonal God, and we're trying to get back to that like a drop of water returning to the ocean. So the whole mm-hmm. cycle of reincarnations mm-hmm. upon reincarnation upon reincarnation is that process of, of, of getting back to where we need to be mm-hmm. uh, with the impersonal whole that way. So we're in the matrix. I knew it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Very much so. So um, in Eastern religions, they believe only the supernatural world exists. Mm-hmm. And then there are a whole slew of people in our modern world that believe only the physical world exists. Okay. Um, and we might call them empiricists or naturalists mm. or materialists. Um, Would realists count? Mm, I don't know. I guess it depends on what you think is real. Real, yeah. Mm. But but there are people that only believe in what they can see and touch and know is real. And for those people, love does not exist. It's just a chemical reaction in our brain. You know, and, and so everything is reduced to matter and energy. Yeah. Um, that way. But the Bible presents the fact that both the natural world and the supernatural world exist. Mm. So, you know, it has a lot to say about angels and demons and invisible forces and, and um, things that um, we have not yet seen. And so in Jesus' prayer, there is that acknowledgement. Um, because God's will is done perfectly in heaven um, in a supernatural world that turns out to be more real than the world we're in now. Yeah. And there's also the separation of the two. Yes. There are some that would believe, kind of like Hinduism, would believe that the earth actually is a heaven. Yeah. And that's interesting, too, just from a theological standpoint, because in a sense— Heaven and earth intersect at the Garden of Eden Mm -hmm. in paradise where God walks with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Eden becomes God's garden, you know, to walk in in the cool of the day. That's kind of cool way of thinking about it. We get to the end of the Bible in Revelation and we're back to that. We're back to God dwelling with his people, wiping every tear from their eyes. No need of a sun, no need of a temple um, because God provides the light that we need. Um, and so there's an inter- intersection between heaven and earth. And I think that happens between time as people's hearts and lives come to know Christ, as Christ's power is victorious over the power of Satan in sickness and illness and death. Um, you know, the, the kingdom comes. Mm-hmm. I have also heard it said that through worshiping we are bringing heaven down to us. Hmm. I don't 
necessarily believe that that's true. <laughs> I mean, it because uh, there's always going to be a separation between the two. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, the scriptures do say that where two or three gather in my name, there I'll be also. But that's not saying that all of, like, you're suddenly connected with all of heaven at that point. Right. Uh, I well, guess I just don't really know what I think about that. Yeah, there's no question that um, worship is tied to the presence of God. And so when we are truly worshiping, um, not just going through the motions yeah. or, or you yeah. know doing things because we're supposed to, but when we truly are worshiping in our hearts, um, the presence of God is much more evident to us, and, and we we have a realization of that. And so, in a sense, heaven does come down. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and if you think of heaven as the dwelling place of God and 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 worship, and being tied to God's presence. Yeah. So, I mean, you can look at it that way, but it's a taste. Mm. It's a taste of what's to come. Mm. Um, in fact, the greatest joys of this life are just a taste of what God's prepared for those who love him. So the most incredible worship experiences we can have here on earth just give us a little bit of a hunger toward what's coming. Yeah. So then he goes on to say, give this, give us this day. Well, I guess, did he say give us this day? Our daily bread? I always get it confused because like, I always hear the Lord's Prayer in a group setting. <laughs> so... <laughs> when I think give us this day, I'm like, okay, did we change that? Because I guess Jesus is a us because there are three in one, but that it's weird, weird, weird wording. <laughs> yeah, um, it's inclusive. Mm. Give us this day our daily bread, and it's a reliance on God yeah. who provides daily bread, and and it, it's a. Throw back to the Exodus journey where manna fell from the sky every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but God really provides what we need on a daily basis. And if we could really sink our teeth into that, if we could really accept that, it would take away the fear and the worry and the stress and the difficulty of life to know that God is going to provide what we need on a daily basis, that we don't have to be afraid. Yeah. Um, Give us this day our daily bread, and and I and I think it is talking about bread because we need bread and water to survive. We need food to survive. Bread's a placeholder for food. Yeah, but um, but we need so much more too. Mm-hmm. And God provides all of those things because, like Jesus would say, man does not live on bread alone. Right, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Mm-hmm. So give us what we need on a daily basis. Give us give. Lord, we're depending on you to to provide those things that we truly need. Um, and in a sense, that reflects what David says when he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And because the Lord's my shepherd, I have everything that I need. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or we might say, I shall not want. Yeah. There's definitely a layer of anxiety that is unnecessary if we truly believe that. Yeah. If we really accepted the fact that God does provide everything for us. Yeah. There would just be this sense of, I would, I would even argue clarity. Uh, there would be a lot less stress involved in situations knowing that, hey, God's got you. And, <laughs> and we just have to realize that. Yeah. Now, I guess I could see some situations where people feel 
like God burned them in situations. Like maybe he didn't provide exactly what they wanted. Right. So to them, they feel like God didn't provide for them in that situation. Yes. Even though he is, it's just not, again, it's just the thought of us not telling God what we want. It's him showing us what we need. Right. And just that difference between the two of some people may feel, like I said, some people may feel like they've uh, been burned by God before in situations, but in reality, he's just trying to help you. Right. I mean, he's trying to make you a better person. (laughs) And there are people who are disappointed um, with life, and they're disappointed with God, and they're disappointed with the choices that they've made. But Mm -hmm. but God gets blamed um, for a lot of those things. Um, But this prayer and um, the truth is that God is at work for our good. Um, God is always going to be at work in the most redemptive way possible in our lives and in everyone's lives. Um, and so this prayer acknowledges that God is at work for good in our lives. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us those things that help us to rely on you and depend on you for those things that we truly need. And then he goes on to say to forgive us of our sins. Yes. Of course, depending on the version you read, it's trespasses or uh, uh, debts. Debts, yeah. Um, which is weird coming from the person who had no sin. Yeah. Well, he's modeling the prayer. Yeah, yeah. It's a prayer given to his disciples. Mm-hmm. Of all the things the disciples could have asked Jesus to teach them, they asked to be taught how to pray because they recognize that as a source of great power. Um, so forgive us our debts. And, and you're right, Jesus has no debts to forgive, um, but we certainly do. Yeah. And we need forgiveness more than we need the air that we're breathing. We need forgiveness more than we need the daily bread. Um, We are constantly in need of forgiveness. Um, Just like a boat leaves a wake behind it, we leave a wake behind all of our actions. Um, Sometimes we intentionally hurt people, but a lot of the time we hurt people without even realizing it. They're caught in our wake. Um, And then we're just going from, you know, to the next thing. And we don't, we don't know all the, Terrible things our lives have brought about that way. We're in constant need of grace and forgiveness. And really, if we don't ask for forgiveness of our sins, if we don't have that forgiveness of sins, really the daily bread means nothing. Yeah. Uh, you think of um, uh, when uh, when Jesus heals the, I think it was when he heals the paralytic, what's the first thing he does? I mean, your sins are forgiven. And then he says, pick up your mat and right. walk. They had no clue. Like they were like, "Why would you do that first? Just tell him to pick up his mat and walk. Why do you right. need to forgive him of his sins?" But right. in reality, he's really saving him more by doing that than he is by letting him walk. Certainly, and the forgiveness of sins is permanent, mm. whereas physical healing is temporary. Mm. So, so yeah, there's a, a different priority there than what we are, you know, than what we are accustomed to. And I always think about that story with humor because uh, the men lower the man down through the roof. They've you know taken a lot of effort to carry him and to get him to the roof and lower him down. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> and and I, I almost picture one of them thinking, hey, we brought him here to get him healed. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care about his sins. <laughs> but Jesus cared about the things that, that really is 
That's really what the man needed. Yeah. And I think it doesn't it mention that Jesus only healed only like healed his condition because the people around him were thinking that? Or well, some, not necessarily that he only healed did that, but yeah. but um he recognizes that the people were saying, Well, why do you have power to forgive sins? Why 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 are you presuming to be able to forgive sins? Mm. And 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 if you think about that, um if we do something that requires forgiveness for one person and another person forgives us of that, it's nice, but it doesn't solve the problem. Yeah. We sin against God. Only God can give us the forgiveness we really need. Jesus forgiving sins is another way of him stating plainly for everybody to see and know that he's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be able to do what only God can do. And, of course, that offends the religious leaders terribly. And so that's at the heart of that story, too. So it says that we should, we're asking and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And that's a painful truth. Um, We're praying there, Lord, forgive us the same way we forgive other people. Oh, that's a dangerous prayer. Because we kind of have to forgive other people first. Yes, because if we don't forgive other people and we pray that prayer, we're not going to get much forgiveness yeah. that way. Um, so there is a there's a an honesty and a um, accountability and a conviction in that part of the prayer um, where we really restore relationships and make relationships a priority. In another place, Jesus will say, if you're bringing your gift and you realize someone has something against you, leave your gift and mm-hmm. go settle things, go resolve things. And so there's a, a high priority um, on that kind of thing. Forgiveness is difficult for us. It really is. Um, we have a sense that we need to make things right rather than trusting God to make things right. Um, we have a sense that we need to punish that other person um, rather than trusting God and and really depending on him and relying on him. And we carry an awful lot of pain because when we don't forgive, we let that person's actions or words hurt us over and over and over and over and over again. And control us. Yes. And it affects all our other relationships, Mm -hmm. poisons all those other relationships. So that part of the prayer is incredibly important that we, that we learn to forgive as we're asking for forgiveness, mm-hmm. that we make it a intentional priority to forgive other people. Yeah. And just to have that extra reminder to forgive other people. Yeah. Because there's probably a lot of hurt that is unnecessary in some yeah. occasions just because people don't want to let things go. No, no. But, you know, Christians are people who have experienced the grace and mercy of God. And the way we live out our faith is to be a channel of that grace and mercy to other people. Mm. And so we, we, we fail in who we are to be when we fail to forgive. And we deny ourselves forgiveness when we fail to forgive. Yeah, that's kind of one of the other big points is to kind of be careful what you ask for. Because sometimes God will give it to you. You've been listening to Deep Dive for Life. Thank you so much for tuning in to our show this week. We'll be back next week with another bit of scripture to dive into. 
Remember to reach out to us at deepdiveforlife at gmail.com with any questions you may have for us to cover in the show. Thanks again, and remember to keep diving, friends. Thank you.